Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. As you can hear in the background, I've once again got my air conditioning going. It is hot. I'll tell you, my living room doesn't have AC. So by the time I get in here, I'm totally wiped out. I can't believe you know how tired you get when it's like so hot. But uh, all I want to do is then I get in here, my energy's like off the charts. Anyway, I want to welcome you all. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. If you're watching from YouTube, welcome. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. There's a little ghost kind of flying around, well, he's not flying around, but he's down there in the bottom right-hand corner, and uh, he's got a magnifying glass on, a Sherlock Holmes hat. That's our mascot, and if you could be so kind as to subscribe, we're always looking for subscribers, that would be terrific. Or follow us on Facebook, you know, that'd be great, or follow me on Facebook for that matter, I'm easy to find, everything I have is public, so you can just look me up, find me, follow me, and uh, that would be great too, but uh, if you could subscribe, I'd really appreciate it, you know. We have 250 videos over there, and every one of those videos is different, different topics. I'm a journalist by trade, and I enjoy covering different stories, different types of stories. So you're not only going to get paranormal UFO things going on, you are also going to get, um, I hate when things dangle, you're also going to get spousal abuse stories, you're going to get stories of murders, you're going to get things like that, because I, I like to cover a wide variety of topics. Anyway, welcome. It's Wednesday, night after primary elections here in California. I don't like to talk politics, but that was a big night last night. So, But anyway, uh, my guest tonight is Paul Eno. He's written a lot of books on the paranormal. One that was fascinating and interests me so much was uh, Aliens, UFOs, and the Paranormal, and the parallels that run with that. And we'll probably get into that in our talk. And the reason why I got into that is because I read a book here live online called The Mojave Incident. And um, it's not the first time I've read the book. I had read the book previously many, many years ago. And what interested me with this book was that as a paranormal investigator, we encounter clients that tell us, and also when we're on the field, right? We encounter clients that tell us about cold spots and people that walk through walls. And you even wonder about the EVPs, because the EVPs that we get, some of them sound mechanical. Or some of them sound so far away. Or like they're underwater, things like that. Like maybe they're from some other dimension or something like that. But after I started reading the Mojave incident and what happened after the, 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 the husband and wife were abducted, my attention kind of made me, the whole thing made me wonder whether or not, as a ghost hunter, are we hunting ghosts or are we hunting aliens? Because a lot of the things that, that they experienced, like when she knew the aliens were in the room with her, the room got very cold. Um, the, the little boy talked about little men that had red eyes. I mean, there's reports of that. There's, there's, there's these troll things that follow people 
on on some paranormal cases. So, I mean, it got me to thinking and wondering really about what we are investigating. So hopefully I can talk to Paul about that tonight because because it's something that's been really interesting, that's been really intriguing to me for a long time. Okay. Again, my name is Charlotte. I run the the Paranormal Group California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 35 strong up and down the state. So if you have any paranormal needs, we will come out and take a look for you. And because we have 35, you know, we're 35, you know, we're not just all in Sacramento. We're in different counties. So if you're in a county that we don't cover, we're able to get to you no matter what. So if you have a problem, you know, like I, like I said earlier, look me up on Facebook. Check out CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.org. And I'll get back to you ASAP and we can start, you know, going over stuff with you. Okay. Also, another announcement. I forgot. See that? I'm getting senile in my old age. Ah, it's horrible when you get old. Oh, yes. I'm in the market for an EQ. I decided <laughs> my, my voice annoys me. So I decided I'm, uh, I'm looking for an EQ so I can lower my voice a little bit. I'm kind of like going for that Ros Doyle sound from Frasier, you know, where I can be like, hello, California Hans. Last year, I even asked me doing that. Hello, California Hans. How is everybody tonight? Anyway, a little bit of humor for to start the show off. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Paul in and he can tell you about himself. He's got a he's got a huge paranormal resume. Very impressive. And we can get rolling on this. All right, here we go. Sit back and enjoy the ride, folks. Good afternoon. Good evening. Well, good evening from New England. <laughs> Fantastic. I just, I love New England. It reminds me of parts of Northern California. Yeah, well, the temperatures do lately, and, and uh, you caught me in the middle of my uh, annual spring allergy attack. The pollen here is just really horrendous. So, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about you, because I know you have a, re- a paranormal resume that goes back quite a bit. Uh, yeah, uh, 52 years, actually. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, well, I, I was, uh, I'll tell you, Charlotte, I was studying for the priesthood and um, I was wondering about ghosts, you know, and uh, I entered the seminary in 1967 at the age of 14 when you could still do that. Not a good idea emotionally. Uh, and then I ended up um, graduating from two seminaries, two academic levels, and then they, uh, I, I changed churches and entered the Orthodox Church. I went to their seminary, and then they threw me the hell out uh, a couple of years later because they didn't like my paranormal work. They did not like Ed and Lorraine Warren, with whom I was working at the time. So maybe the church and I had a lucky escape. I was I spent 10 years in the seminary. I was never ordained to anything. So uh, I say it might be just as well. <clears throat> but in any case, all through those years, starting in 1970, I was interested in, 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 in ghosts. And w- what really got me started was was... 10 years before that, in 1961, when my father, uh, I was witness to my father's suicide. Uh, terrible thing to even have to mention, but it, it, it just, well, I wonder, you know, where is my father? I was in a strict Roman Catholic school where, um, you know, if you ate a hot dog on Friday or committed suicide, you went straight to hell. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I it was just, uh, I went to what they had the Sisters of Mercy if you believe the name, uh, in school. And uh, I, they, they were either saints or potential axe murderers, nothing in between. Fortunately, in second grade, I had one of the saints. Uh, 
And I said, where is my father? I mean, you know, and I knew that they were trying to keep from me that he had committed suicide, but I was where I was there. So it was like, um, she said, well, God is kind of bigger than all that. That got me through. And my brother was ordained to the priesthood in 63. So there would have been two of us. And so uh, in the seminary, I just, there, there was, they didn't talk about this. Mm-hmm. You'd think priests were trained in the paranormal, but they're not. Uh, certain select ones are. There was one lonely book in the entire seminary library of about 10,000 books about the subject, Ghosts and Poltergeists by Herbert Thurston, British Jesuit. And even those cases were stuff he heard about secondhand, most of them. So um, in 1970, uh, I decided to uh, pursue my first case. And in the Hartford Current in Connecticut, I happened to see a story of an old man who would uh, walk around this old settlement that had been vacated since the 1890s. And he would get all kinds of weird pictures on his old 1940s box camera. You know, things today we might call orbs and all stuff like that. So I said, well, 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 let me go check this out. Because I was forming the theory that maybe ghosts or earthbound spirits and all this stuff are are souls in purgatory. Good old Catholic kid. Maybe that was the thing. So I'm going to test this out. So uh, five other seminary students came with me. We had several expeditions to this place. And we got far more than we ever expected. You no sooner walked into this place, and it was all overgrown, all woods and stuff, the cellar holes where the houses had been. You could hear the sounds of daily life uh, for somebody else. You could hear farm impl- implements, you know, banging together. The You could hear cows, dogs, kids, people talking, and nobody was there. Uh, and, you know, even for New England, th- th- this was an isolated place. There was nothing around. Uh, of the many things that happened, and I've written about this in several books, uh, we w- when the uh, dusk was descending, you know, the katydids started uh, making their sounds. Uh, we were standing above um, Nightingale Brook, because uh, all woods, and there were a couple of cellar holes. We heard the sound of children laughing and playing. But, and, and th- this was my first experience of the spatial oddities that can occur during these cases. They were moving rapidly up and down this brook as if they were in a car. There wasn't even a road anywhere near there. And we all heard it. And it was kind of an EVP because the term EVP, I don't think it had even been invented yet, but it was kind of an EVP in reverse. We could hear it, but we couldn't tape it. And I do mean tape. You know, we had the the high-tech equipment over the time, which was a cassette tape recorder, a couple of notebooks and a couple of cameras. Mm -hmm. So... But the, the funny thing for me was that <clears throat> I knew the names of some of those children. I just did. I was already on thin ice at the seminary for even doing this. I didn't dare mention anything that could have been construed as mediumistic or psychic. It would have been out in my ear before I was. Uh, and then the, of, of, uh, the other things that happened, uh, probably one of the most dramatic was on the second expedition, which was in the fall of 71. Uh, we all, it was a Sunday morning, bright, a cloud in the sky. We heard an ox cart, or what sounded like an ox cart, coming down this cart path that we were standing on. And we stood aside. And because uh, we figured maybe somebody is a team driver for a hobby or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came by us, and we couldn't see it. It was about 20 feet away. It wasn't on the path we were on. It was on what used to be a road going through a thicket. 
and we could hear the guy yelling, yeah, and the crack of a whip, the hoof beats, the wooden wagon wheels. And the first thing I said was, you know, we were stunned, was are there ghosts, quote unquote, of, of wooden wheels and the oxen and, and the whip and all that? Maybe what we're dealing with has more to do with time than with death. I didn't see any evidence these people were dead at all, never mind being in some kind of purgatory. So we really, I really had to reevaluate. And the other guys didn't have a clue anyway. Right. So um, that was my first field case uh, called The Village of Voices. And many years later, I found a book of local history that said that this place was known for precisely these sounds. Uh, that the, And now, one, I was an early advocate of the idea of of uh, residual hauntings, quote unquote, okay, uh, that somehow this gets recorded on the environment when it happens, it gets played back to somebody who's got a brain tuned to FM twelve forty or something. And uh, <clears throat> but but then I said, you know, how would that happen? Even for any kind of a um, of an audio recording, you need fantastic amounts of ferrous oxide. The mm-hmm. soil's not the same. The trees aren't the same. Maybe maybe the stone walls on the rocks, but I mean there's yeah, I, I just I, I think that that's an explanation for people who don't understand the subject of our discussion tonight, parallel universe. Right. right. Now, that concept has been around in quantum mechanics and in literature, uh, well, at least for 120, 130 years, maybe more. And uh, <clears throat> that really began to I was very confused by the end of the 70s. I was writing all these cases of people seeing ghosts of themselves people saying phantom buildings, mm-hmm. animals, it's stuff that wasn't there the next day. And I said that there, these old ideas are not good enough. There has to be more to it than that. Finally, in 1979, you stop me if I'm rambling on here. But, oh, no, go ahead. It's fine. In 1979, I ran into a case. I, I was, uh, I'd been thrown out of the seminary. Uh, I, I'd done some graduate work uh, and, and had nothing and was living in a little house by a lake in Connecticut when my phone rang and I recently made my first TV appearance on this subject Mm -hmm. and a young lady uh, from the University of Connecticut said that she had been in Maine, maybe about a hundred miles from where I was uh, the previous um, weekend. And she said, if she lived to be a hundred, she'd never forget what had happened. So the, the short version is that they were driving along with some friends and they happened to see a, a, ordinary garden variety ranch house mm-hmm. by the side of the road in a town that turned out to be York Harbor. So the, the younger sister, not the one I was talking to, but, but the younger one right. uh, decided to uh, uh, really, that she said, I know this house. That's my house. Never seen it before. Jumped out and ran up to the uh, front door before they could stop her. Well, she started knocking on the door. The others ran up. And a woman answered the door, took one look at this girl, screamed when she saw her, and like kind of stumbled back. Uh, a man came to the door. This turned out to be a childless couple in their 40s. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't speak when he saw her. Everybody had the creeps by this time. And the, the girl finally said, I'm sorry to bother you. I just felt as though I know this house. And the man said, you should know this house. You haunt it. Wow. So I said, so this is something new. So um, they, they, you know, figured retreat was the better part of valor, and then they apologized and left. But they did catch a name on the mailbox. Mm-hmm. Now, as dumb luck would have it, 
my mother's family had had a summer home near here on the ocean since 1872. So uh, needless to say, I spent a lot of summers there and I knew a lot of the people. So uh, I did some inquiry and uh, sure enough, I found out the phone number of these people. If I had been not called the guy, he'll probably have a heart attack. So I wrote him a letter and I put every reference, every priest, every psychologist, whatever I'd ever worked with in this field, just to give him some confidence. Well, three days later, my phone rang and the guy's voice was shaking. He said, we have to talk about this to somebody. So off I go to Maine. And uh, the story I heard was this. They had seen this girl in transparent form doing various things around the house, particularly looking out the front window and coming down the stairs. They had become so frightened to be in their own house that they uh, they would not go into any rooms by themselves. Uh, needless to say, this was not sustainable, and they ended up selling the place. So the girl, in the meantime, I sent her to Hartford for the um, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, which if anybody is in the business and knows is a pre-diagnostic tool to see if you need any psychiatric treatment. Well, she didn't. But the story I got from her was that she had had vivid dreams of, of doing exactly what they had seen her doing in their house, only not at the same time she was doing them. So I was so dazzled by the whole picture here that I, I left that for later. Uh, so it, it, this is what nudged me. And of course, as soon as they met on that uh, front at that front door, often I'm going to cease immediately. It never happened again for either of them. And a, a physicist might say that uh, you know, if I knew then what I think I know now, mm -hmm. that the wave function had been collapsed, that the two worlds had joined, and no more paranormal activity uh, mm -hmm. on that score. So um, this is what really pushed me over the edge into physics, uh, which is a lot weirder than uh, paranormal studies uh, in, in many ways. And we had this uh, apparently people sharing the same consciousness and the same parallel worlds, and then the world's joining. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be what was happening. That was the interpretation. So I started to change my theories and methods and holy mackerel, everything changed in, in all my cases coming up. The approach from this point of view, things really opened up. People said, yeah, th 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 that makes sense. And Ben and I, to this day, will, will lecture widely and we'll talk about this. And people come up and say, you know, that's what's been happening to me all my life. And now I know what it is. I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Mm -hmm. that, that, there, are, there are things you should be afraid of. But that, you know, at least people, uh, you know, knowledge of something helps you be less afraid of it because you can be prepared for it. So if we, if we're right, if our theories are correct, the results have been pretty amazing. So that, that's how that got started. Well, I find this interesting because I've heard other people talk about, you know, the parallel universes and how um, I had one gentleman on the show who said that there could be at least 12 parallel universes. Well, that's string theory. Yeah. String theory. Uh, yeah. That, which, which is an attempt to unite Newtonian physics with quantum physics. Now, the funny thing with physics is, is that they'll come up with, and again, excuse my voice, <laughs> is um, that, that, you know, they'll come up with some theory that there's no evidence for except uh, circumstantial evidence and hope that it will pan out. Now, that's good. That, that, that it works. Mm -hmm. And many times it has panned out and you've come up with new understanding of, various uh of the, the oddities in, in physics mm -hmm. 
But the thing too uh, with, with that is that um, well, there were other cases that, that sort of took a, took a back door into this. And starting in '73, uh, two years after this initial case in Connecticut, uh, I was uh, studying for the priesthood in um, uh, Ogdensburg, New York, which you probably never heard of. I hadn't either. Uh, seminary there. Now, now my boss, the Bishop of John Marshall of Burlington, Vermont, did not like this paranormal, act, you know, activity on my part, and decided he's going to keep me out of mischief by sending me to a seminary I never even heard of in the middle of nowhere up on the Canadian border on the St. Lawrence River in northern New York. Well, unfortunately for Bishop Marshall, the diocesan exorcist, uh, Father Lawrence Carter, lived at the seminary. And I didn't know who he was. He didn't teach. And he had this sort of buzzy voice and he sort of glide down the hallways. And I didn't know who he was. Well, he found out about me and that I've been working with Ed and Lorraine Warren, you know, the people from the Conjuring movies, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, he called me to his room. And after a number of conversations, uh, he was the uh, chaplain at the, the uh, state mental institution down the road, the St. Lawrence State Hospital, where a lot of strange things would go on. And he was just ostensibly the Catholic chaplain. But when stuff started flying off shelves and hitting hospital staff in the rooms of people who were diagnosed with one psychosis or another, uh, they'd call him in very often and there would be exorcism. So I assisted him with that. And I was the tender age of 20. And so, I, uh, boy, I got an eyeful and an earful. But it's still, I just got the impression that the approach was 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 wrong or at least inadequate, because the the first of the worst that I ever saw was the the case of Barbara, uh, who was a 17 year old kid, uh, who said that she was uh, playing host to uh, a uh, demon named Chal. I didn't know what that was, and of course, even the internet in those days. But I was do, I would do a lot of research uh, for Father Cotter, and and I would see. You know, I found out that Chow, somebody thought of Harvard named Chow in psychology, Alina. But uh, this seminary faculty was very supportive of me. I was very surprised. They set up special courses for me in abnormal psychology. Uh, but, of course, uh, to see who was nuts and who was having paranormal pro problems. But the, the, the thing with that is that those can be intertwined. So to get back to Barbara's case, there were, I mean, at one point she floated out of the wheelchair and this, this guy named Leonard and I had to push her back. There was always uh, the priest. There were two nurses, a doctor, and two attendants, of which I was one. So I just got the impression this thing was playing with us. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was acting more like a parasite than a demon. And that's, that really got me started on the whole idea of what are today called energy parasites. They say they'll push your buttons. They'll, they'll be whatever you expect them to be. They'll pretend to be Uncle Chuck, who died, you know, 20 years before, just to eat. They're part of nature. They're part of, life, you know, their life forms. Mm -hmm. And I started to sort of get set on that idea with this. And I would I would talk to Father Cotter, but, you know, like, you know, I'm a 20-year-old seminarian, you know, like they're going to listen to me. And um, I would say stuff like, you know, you, there, there are places in the ritual where the priest demands to know the name of the demon. All right. Uh, that's because of their gospel precedence for that. Jesus always did it. So I said, well, how do you know he's telling the truth? The demon for crying out loud. 
And he said, well, you know, they're bound by the power of Christ to tell the truth. So, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I accepted that. But I, I can't say I still believed it, you know, because uh, these things, I swear, I've run into the same entities on several occasions, and they give different names and all that stuff, but that's a long story. So uh, the, the from the viewpoint of ghosts, the old ideas didn't make sense. From the viewpoint of demons, the old ideas didn't make sense. And then finally... Uh, by the end of the 70s, I was, you know, trying to cook up some new approach to this. Mm -hmm. And something told me, go outside of the quote-unquote haunted house. Look around. Talk to the neighbors if you can. Sure enough, half the time when you could talk to the neighbors, they would say they were having issues too, but they didn't want to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. Or they were seeing UFOs or strange creatures or things of this kind. And this, in my mind, was the birth of what we now call the flap area, okay? Mm -hmm. And finally, by 2005, because I've been through a couple of decades of this, uh, my young son, Ben, who was then 13, uh, joined me in this work. Because he was, he was born for it. You know, I, I, I was trying to, like, at one point, he, we, we had the haunted policeman of Vermont, right? And uh, he lived in, a, in the basement underneath his parents' house. He was unmarried. And there was something going on in that yard, uh, the backyard, where there would be a very negative uh, feeling there. And there was, a, there was an entity. There was a parasite to us. And uh, he, would, he would say, it's funny you explain it that way, because as, as hunters and those seeking food, because whenever my girlfriend and I will fight, the thing will come in. They literally would see it, would knock stuff off shelves and feed on, on their negativity. Uh, and Ben actually got a photograph of this thing, and he I was afraid to show it to him. He said, oh, that's really cool, Dad. It was like a black rider from Lord of the Rings, you know. So uh, he was great with it. And I'd have him by my side anytime now. And we're still not, and now he's 30 and married, and we're still out there kicking and doing our own radio show and stuff like that. So everything I was running into said that the old ideas were inadequate and a new approach was needed. We call it the, the progressive uh, paranormal theories and methods. Uh, no intention of uh, referring to politics. Right. So you think there's a link between UFO sightings and alien sightings to the paranormal then? That, that there's a direct oh, link? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, because we, we find all these connections uh, in these flap areas. The, um, the largest flap area we uh, are still working on started in 2005. You know, and I, I get a kick out of these people who say, "Oh, I've, you know, they're 40 years old, and oh, I've done thousands of cases." Well, what do you what do you consider a case, and how long do you spend on it? Uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for over 50 years. That that would that would mean I'd have to do 20, 30. I think up to 40 cases in one year. Nobody nobody can do that. So we we uh, work on cases for years. Uh, the Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, for example, started in 05, one of Ben's first cases, working with me. And uh, so we've been working on that for all these years, and it just keeps getting bigger. Mm -hmm. More witnesses, more phenomena. Uh, we're over into the Hudson Valley of New York at this point. We've got about 330 square miles we're dealing with. Now, how do you deal with that? Well, through our radio show, we have reporters, and we literally have a spy network. And we set it up so they don't know each other. So, that, you know, the suggestibility is generally not a factor. But we're still going through police reports. There were all sorts of changes in public behavior, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, 
you know, everywhere and, and this sort of thing. In Pennsylvania, uh, we're dealing with it with the triangle in Clearfield County there too. And then that, that, that's a new case that only started 2016. So uh, we have, I've, I've run into Bigfoot personally. So is one of our other guys. Uh, we have uh, what the MUFON, what MUFON considers one of the two best UFO videos they've ever seen. Uh, matter of fact, I, I don't know if you can show that, but we have a, I have a link to it I could send, or, or just you could look at it privately. I can put oh, it in the chat. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to put it up on the website later so people can see. Yeah, I'll put it in the chat right now. And uh, <clears throat> there we go. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, it, it just, it really knocks your socks off. And we have neighborhood meetings in that area with up to 35 people showing up, you know, pre-COVID. And that they've all seen weird lights and seen Bigfoot. It's like nothing. Even the restaurant, we we, we had we, we couldn't meet at people's houses anymore. There were too many attendees. So even at the um, uh, over the mountain restaurant in Rockton, PA, uh, they have a Bigfoot theme because everybody knows about it. You know. So uh, I think it's when you look outside of a case, you're going to find all sorts of unexpected things, and it's all connected through this multiverse idea. John Keel, uh, particularly famous for the Mothman episodes of the 1960s, a New York journalist, and I have I, I, I have a journalism background too, just like you, and uh, he um, would talk about uh, window areas, you know, where all sorts of things would come through that are not typically or at least not traditionally related to each other. You know, ghost hunters used to be ghost hunters. Bigfoot researchers, you know, would do that. And nobody ever thought they were connected. Now, uh, there's there's a lot of notion in, in the field all, all around that these things are connected and they have to be investigated kind of as a whole. So, th so that's where we are. Oh, absolutely. I was just reading a comment in the chat room. You know, my question in all this, too, is that when we talk about the parallel universes, how does that work? I mean, in your research, how does that work exactly? Because I know I've been out and seen what I thought were friends walking around and it turns out it's not them it's like it's like a double or i've seen that i've seen my double at, at like an airport or someplace so how does that work exactly well i go back to the case in maine where people were experiencing the same world the, the, the thing with the young girl who was the ghost in the house was that she said that in her dreams she was that was her house mm -hmm. and she had two children Matter of fact, she said when she first saw the front yard, she said, why aren't there any toys? It just popped into her mind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I never really got too much into that because, you know, this is early and everybody was dazzled by the rest of it. But um, apparently we had uh, parallel worlds uh, being shared by the, by the same people. Now, there are all sorts of implications for this, for, you know, scientific, spiritual, uh, even our own point of view about ourselves. Uh, because the implications of of the kind of multiverse theory that we embrace, because this is what we see, and then there are different interpretations. You know, some people stick with the string theory. You know, you, you got 11 or 12 parallel worlds. In there. Others think there are infinite numbers, okay, with inf infinite versions of ourselves and all possible outcomes being real. Now, with my theological education, I, I was never ordained to anything, but I got I got the education. Uh, I couldn't help but look at it from the point of view, well, everybody 
gripes, you know, about God because, you know, everything's unjust and we're going to swoop in and save us from ourselves and all this. And yeah, and you, that, that's a legitimate concern. On the other hand, if we're too limited to see the multiverse in, in all its meaning, we're not seeing the idea, the, the possible idea that all possible outcomes are out there and the whole thing forms a perfect elegance. This is we can't see it or don't experience it. It doesn't mean it's not there. So th that's that's one point of view that we happen to find intriguing. Maybe it is a perfect creation. Or maybe God is, is not fully developed yet. Maybe he, she, it, or them is learning along with us. You know, there are all kinds of theological possibilities here for which I'm usually roasted by half the listenership, you know, because they that doesn't agree with their beliefs, but whatever. So, but as far as, again, how it works is that uh, there were old Hollywood productions of anybody's my age. They might remember uh, Sliders or Quantum Leap or something. You know, all of it, Hollywood never gets it right, especially when it comes to science. So the, the, the parallel worlds are not like that. Uh, we've had physicists of the caliber of uh, Fred Allen Wolf on our show agreeing with us about our interpretation, uh, talking about the quantum foam or the space-time foam, F-O-A-M, uh, that was formed at the Big Bang, which, of course, itself is now being debated again. Right. And you have uh, bubbles uh, or spheres or whatever, uh, each which is its own world with its own laws of physics. But they, they will operate kind of in tandem. They will connect at certain points. Sometimes they'll pop. Sometimes they'll combine. And uh, we've been, and so th th this is uh, something I think that, that can explain paranormal activity. We talk about world families, families of worlds where uh, you know, there are separate worlds, but the laws of physics are very, very similar or the same. And you don't have uh, tremendous differences there. When the, that is jostled somehow by whatever, uh, you have. Uh, situations where you have very different worlds with very different laws of physics combining or intersecting. And then you get me standing in, in the Bridgeport, Connecticut house in 1974 with police officers and firefighters watching a 300-pound refrigerator levitate off the floor. That kind of thing. Uh, or you get uh, what you know other things that happened in that case, the kid being thrown across the room uh, by the quote-unquote demon, as we believe at the, at the time. And uh, so I think that that's really how it works. The whole thing is, is interactive, and we're not the point of the point of our revolution, but we can see it. Working in the, the psychiatric hospital, I worked in two as a, a part of pastoral training for the priesthood that never came. Uh, I would run into people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And mm -hmm. among, among the symptoms of that, you hear voices and you see things. Some of these people, because we're just gone, other, other people who were diagnosed with that were incredibly brilliant. You look into their eyes, it's knowing, very knowing look you'd get back. They knew historical events like they'd been there. They knew future events as if they'd been there, some of them. And I uh, have often addressed groups of psychiatrists, or twice, I should say, addressed groups of psychiatrists on this. And so I got the impression that we're the ones who are living in the false world. 
they, they, they might be experiencing parallel lives that are real. And of course, uh, the steam comes out of the ears and the eyes turn red. But a bunch of them would come up to me after the lecture and say, you know, I've often suspected the same thing. But if I said it, I'd lose my job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th th that's what we're facing. So I think it's the first day of school. And uh, the motto of our show was everything you know is wrong. Right. And right. It, it probably is, including ourselves, because we're all, you know, uh, just uh, trying to learn here. But I think the evidence is absolutely overwhelming that the old ideas are completely off, too narrow, and that we're, we're living in um, an entirely new kind of creation that, that only our remotest ancestors knew a lot about. I've spoken with shaman, uh, shamans in, in different parts of the world. Uh, I'm thinking of one a particular one in Australia in 1979, <clears throat> who a uh, little, little tiny guy, Australian Aboriginal elder, and he said, uh, I was lucky because they used you know, talk to outsiders, but, uh, but I was already into this, this idea of the parallel worlds. And he said, you're on the right track. That's what we do. He said, we go into these parallel worlds. You know, we'll, we'll, it's, the vision is like going into the ground through a hole or something of that kind. But he said, essentially, we're going into parallel worlds and bringing back what we need here for the people who are trying to help. Uh, for example, according to him, there was a woman in his in his group who had cancer. He went into a parallel world where she didn't have cancer, collapsed the wave function, as a physicist might say, and she didn't have cancer anymore. Uh, and the real what really takes the cake are, are the, the returns from the, from the dead. Okay, now he said now he said he hadn't done this himself, but he uh, knew a shaman when he was a boy himself who had done this. He said he saw it himself. And many years before, uh, there had been a uh, young boy who had uh, died, or we, we don't even use it with all this in mind. How can you die? We use the word translate, right? Then a very ancient theological concept. So uh, the boy had uh, passed or translated, and uh, the family was devastated, and they paid the shaman a lot of money to do something about it. So he supposedly went into a parallel world where the boy had not died, some other part of the world family where the, he hadn't died, literally took him by the arm, dragged him back across the membrane, what a physicist would call a membrane, into this world. Uh, it was not a good idea. Uh, the kid didn't know some of his brothers and sisters because they didn't have him in the other world. He was very confused about where he was very unhappy and eventually he just kind of lost it so and this and minda louis the, the shaman i was talking to said you know there's a reason why the multiverse or the universe is set up the way it is you know because we're not ready for this stuff right now you've you've uh <clears throat> go back a few years right. to when i was still at the seminary northern new york i would go up to the um the uh Aquasasne, uh reservation up there on the border uh, as to teach the kids. And <clears throat> one of the shaman, there, I don't know, I don't know, that's how I met the shaman from Quebec, from the Cree tribe. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm up there and he told me exactly, uh, not the same story, but a very similar story of when, and I hadn't mentioned this from Australia because I hadn't been there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, he mentioned that uh, uh, there was a young man who had died 
they had paid uh, the shaman a lot of money. This is when he was a kid, too. And the guy was brought back in the same way. And he he walked to work past his own grave every day. Mm-hmm. And again, he said it wasn't resurrection, wasn't reincarnation. They literally dragged him back from a world where he never died. So th- th- this stuff sent me for a loop and really got me into the current theories that we use now. So this is these are indications of how the, how this apparently works. Well, my client, the, the, what I was reading a few minutes ago in the chat room was a concerned um, listener who said, well, what about, you know, our deceased family members coming back to, to talk to us or visit us? Oh, yeah. Well, that, this is this is well known. Um, the, the, the key to understanding that, I think, is to realize, and with all due respect to the founders of our country, uh-huh. that we are not individuals. And not in the sense of what Ben and I call the island theory. Mm-hmm. You know, the island theory is just something we assume that everything within us is within us. You know, our, our consciousness, our, our intelligence, our whole life uh, is within our minds, within, within our brains, within our bodies. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. And that, that's why we're boggled by things like uh, ESP, you know, extrasensory perception. Oh, how could that happen and all that? Well, it, it, it happens because we're all literally connected in what one life, really. Uh, not only is that true for all of us, it's true for all of our the other us's, mm-hmm. the other versions or facets, as we call it, in parallel realities. Uh, it's all one big life. How is it, for example, that Mozart could sit down at the age of four and start, start uh, composing brilliant piano concerti? performing before all the crowned heads of Europe because of his genius. Probably, if this is correct, it's probably because he's already aware. We didn't even use the past tense because uh, one of the principles of, of uh, the multiverse that we accept is uh, the simultaneity of all time. There is no past, there is no future. So Mozart is aware where he's already a great composer. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he's united with his facets, a couple of them anyway, and he has all this talent. Uh, you see this all over the place throughout spirituality, whether people know it or not, uh, right. things that might illustrate this principle. So <clears throat> as far as our loved ones are concerned, I, I, and, and this is really not on the question, but I, I get a kick out of the idea. Oh, your loved ones. What if you couldn't stand the person? <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to have them back, you know. But um, we uh, talk about this all the time on our show. And when, when my mother translated in 2011, uh, a lot of people wrote into the show, uh, you know, very compassionately kind of saying in a, in, a, in a way, okay, wise guys, you know, how do you handle loss of a loved one? So I said, it's not that she's still with us. It's that we are with her in many, many worlds where she never died. And uh, we have a better relationship than ever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's still true. You know, and uh, how do you experience these worlds? Well, you are experiencing them in, in your subconscious. That seems to be what it's all about. In this life uh, we're living here, that we're conscious of here, is part of our subconscious there. I think it's really quite that simple, if you want to call it simple. So I think, again, it, it's it's not that they're still with us, but we're, we're still with, with them in many ways. And it's, it's as real. that's as real as it gets. We just have to see it. So really these dreams that people have of, love, of deceased loved ones could be a, a trip to another universe, a parallel. Oh, absolutely. Universe. Yeah, and you know, I, I really came to the conclusion, I have a dream record I've kept for 25 years. Uh-huh. 
And uh, when I go back to the to look at a, a dream from, you know, 1999, it jumps right back. It's real. And uh, as a as a journalist, I was a, a newspaper editor. Uh, I was the wire editor at the Providence Journal, which is the Metro Daily around here. And, you know, you put out the morning paper at night. So you work essentially a second shift. I get home one or two in the morning. I get up and then take because my wife had sort of bankers hours. I take the boys down to the school bus and I take a nap in the afternoon to make up for it. Mm-hmm. I still kind of do that. I, you know, I have a kind of a short night and a short nap in the afternoon that, that, that uh, will uh, take care of that. And unfortunately, I work at home for myself. So I have that luxury. But uh, <clears throat> the point being that I remember more dreams than most people do because I have that broken sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. And there are of one of many examples uh my wife and i visit this uh cafe on a street corner in pennsylvania of all places and rhode island is nowhere near pennsylvania uh and uh, we have life memories of the place we know people uh we have uh we can tell you all about it it's it's a real world and the the and ben and i found that i've been my son that uh we we were sharing the same dreams of the same, same parallel worlds. I would begin the dream, he would finish it, or he would start it, and I would finish it. Uh, probably the, the the most far out example was when we were on Coast to Coast AM. I think it was 2010, and uh, George Nuri was asking us uh, <clears throat> about the what the same topic you're discussing, mm-hmm. and uh, we we said should we talk about the good world or shouldn't we? The whole country be laughing at us, but we, we brought it up, and uh, it was a, a world Ben and I and some other people had experienced. It's not a heaven, I know, but but it seems to be a world in which our species is far more at home. And people work; their modes of transportation uh, is very beautiful. Uh, everything is alive. It's kind of like the dream time that the uh, Aboriginals might talk about, and so. <clears throat> George said, I've never heard you this far out before. I said, well, we've never showed you that we are this far. So we expected all kinds of an uproar. You know, you know you're on that show, you get thousands of emails. So we got uh, over 3,000 emails. Two were negative. And one guy later apologized. Other people were writing in, talking about experiences they had had in what sounded like the good world places we knew existed there but hadn't mentioned ever and they were talking about them so something was going on here that had to do with parallel worlds and kind of what we call the unity with a capital u of people experiencing these same things and they don't talk about it because they don't want to be considered weird in our society but i think there's a lot of sharing going on here there's a i hope it's a kind of awakening uh again first day of school so so that's just another example of it do you think um, that the deja vu that we feel is maybe when we have either a memory of, of a parallel world or at some point the two worlds collide? Well, I think probably all of the above. Uh, I, they, now, there's another point of view on that. And if you if you haven't had, a, haven't, <clears throat> excuse me, had him as a guest, you should. And that's Anthony Peake, the great British uh, consciousness researcher and author dear friend of mine uh we tie into each other's work all the time and um he ties into deja vu deja vu in his next book cheating the ferryman 
reference to the ancient ideas about the ferryman when you die, you know, uh, ferrying you across the state, the river sticks and you have to pay him. I, I don't know what he does with the money. I've always wondered that, but, uh, in any case, uh, there are different points of view on that, but as far as deja vu is concerned, yes, I think it's, uh, an experience of what you've already done in a parallel world. Cause, because the thing is that the time uh, is really not, that doesn't really exist. Uh, Einstein got into quantum physics. He thought it was too crazy, but he couldn't deny it. But even his, his generally his special theory of relativity uh, is that time implies that time is all simultaneous. There is no past. There is no future. <clears throat> it's all uh, simultaneous. We, we just experience it uh, that way, past and future, because we're not at a point in our evolution yet where we, we can take it all in. Right? And when we do, we're schizophrenic and they lock you in the state hospital, at least they used to. Now they fill, fill your pockets with antipsychotic drugs and you're probably the one who's normal and they're not. Right. So <clears throat> that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the deja vu is, is just one uh, one example of just about everybody experiences. Now let's talk about past lives a little bit on this then. You know, this okay. Very well, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm to- sorry. Okay, little kids tend to experience past life stuff more so than adults. So, is it because they're more open to it, you know, um, mentally or whatever, for them to experience it? Oh yeah, I think so. Though this is educated out of us, but the thing with past lives is, is if there's no past, you can't have past life. So, what we're looking at is parallel lives. Like it's six and one half dozen the other. Uh-huh. They can be in different times. I make it a point when I speak with regression therapists, people who will hypnotize you and take you back. Uh, I'll say, um, okay, d- tell me about uh, your, your last few clients. Have you uh, ever encountered a world or a date in the future? Or have you ever encountered kind of a world they describe you don't recognize? You know, they'll always ask, what year is it? All? And almost inevitably, they'll say, funny, you should ask. Like just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody who said it was the, the, this bizarre date in the future or some combination of dates and you know letters and numbers they didn't understand or they'll describe a very very alien world and um the, the right now uh regression therapists are accepting the idea of parallel lives simultaneous lives yeah i don't know if they're quite ready to move with, as far as i've gone but it's uh they're considering this so i think that um we may be dealing with with, with parallel lives uh as as in the case of mozart Mm-hmm. we were talking about before so you know if, if we're correct uh, that would be an approach that might want to be considered interesting question in the chat room is does he believe in um survival of the soul survival of the soul uh i think the whole message here is life with a capital l capital i f e all right um you you have to in order to get the right answer you have to ask the right question all right. And uh, everybody asks that question. Uh, whenever anybody would ask, you know, what happens to us when we die or where do we go when we die? Uh, and I was I was a pain in the neck question in the in the seminary, as you could imagine. The question pops into my mind. Well, where were you before you were conceived? You know, and again, if, if, if everything is parallel, then may, maybe nothing happens when you die, you know. And maybe we always compare it, as do many indigenous cultures, with the tree. 
a tree's got a million leaves on it, but you're the whole tree. One, one or two leaves fall off, so what? You know, it's inconsequential. The behavior, this is for another show, the behavior of alien life forms, and and I'm, I'm they, they recently brought me in, MUFON recently brought me in to the ERT or the Experience of Resource Team as one of the paranormal advisors on this. And uh, because they were always running into parallel kinds of phenomena. People uh-huh. get abducted, don't something they're having poltergeist activity in their house. Right. Crossover phenomena, uh, it's known. So as far as survival of the soul, uh, first of all, you have to define your terms. You have to define, what, what do you mean by soul? Uh, if you go back to the ancient Greek, animus, or the life. Uh, and then you have, to, you have to figure out, without your body, are you still you? Mm-hmm. Because you, you get away from the Cartesian dualism and a whole new approaches are required. So uh, as with my mother, yeah, I mean, surviving in many parallel worlds, more than surviving, thriving. I think everything that, that, that is um, possible is true somewhere in the multiverse, somewhere or some when. But is death even possible with various facets of yourself, so many versions of yourself? How could there be death even for the body? Right. And so, again, new ideas. I think what, what do you have to survive for? You, you, you're you thriving already in m- many facets, many parallel lives, and, and it's all you. Mm-hmm. So, yes, life with a capital L-I-F-E. Good. Another question is, can a parallel world bleed into this world? Oh, yeah. I mean, is the Pope from Argentina? Yeah, absolutely. Um it happens all the time. And I don't know if they're really, well, we, we don't call it, we have, we literally had to invent a vocabulary to talk about this stuff. We being Ben and myself, mm-hmm. we use the term overwash, um, intersect point and the flashing nexus. Okay. Uh, as ways to look at this uh, intersect points, as we were talking earlier about the bubbles, uh, they connect at a certain point. There's that. Uh, there's also the window area kind of thing with everything kind of happening. Uh, overwashes are overlaps of parallel worlds that will mix somewhat. It's, it's inhabitants, it's energies, things like that. Anything is possible, and we I've seen most of it in this. Uh, as far as um, bleeds, uh, actually, Ed Warren uh, used the term bleed through. A couple of points. And then one of the reasons we split up in 1978 was because their ideas were continuing along the path and I was getting into this stuff. So mm-hmm. they, they didn't really understand it. So we, we kind of went our separate ways. But uh, yeah, it's it happens all the time. Multiverse is like Swiss cheese. So There's a we, reason for that. When we talk about the multiverse, and I'm thinking about these kids, again, you know, not so much, you know, the, past, the whole past life thing. You know, these kids that, that, that are experience uh, experiencing these memories of maybe like like the kid that was the bomber pilot is, is yeah, that, right, universe that oh, but, but it's like a, a past parallel universe that's in existence well again i think it, it, he's living that life right now uh my own son ben one of the reasons i i brought him into this was as soon as he could talk he was talking about things like that he was a soldier doing this that the other thing and it and I think, again, that these are lives going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can learn from that. It's, very, it's, it's, it's another twist on the whole reincarnation thing. 
only it's not reincarnation, it's parallel lives. But again, as I say, six and one half dozen the other, depending on how you look at it. Um, again, the, the, the notion of the past or the future is, is our concept and is acceptable to our undeveloped consciousness. That's how we see things happening, right? Um, but how, how do you know how do you know what's going to happen in the future? Precognition, uh, clairaudience, you know, how do you know all these things? Because it's going on right now when you're there. That that's how that seems. That in our opinion, that's how that works. So and all like, of the paranormal can be explained by this. And technically, the visions that you're having of of that is is you're, you're getting a look into that life, which is that's yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. But the thing is, uh, I'm sorry. It's fascinating. Oh yeah, well, indeed it is. And of course, we I mean we haven't even gotten into the notion that something you touched on. I thought that was very good. Uh, are we looking at aliens? Right. You know. When I was in that house in Bridgeport and we were attacked, uh, the Warrens weren't even there. They were up to with some TV show, but we're attacked by entities that are um, supposed to be demons. Uh, they came, one of them stood right in front of me and I had a physical struggle with it to protect this little girl. That thing was alien. Now, in, in, in a very broad sense of that, I'm not saying it was some, some other planet. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, what does that even mean in the, in the context of the multiverse as we've been discussing it? <clears throat> but uh, it was far more alien than evil, totally other, you know, and hungry and hostile didn't care about us at all. Mm -hmm. So I think you know, that, that that's another question of what, what are we really dealing with? Now, people will, will sometimes say, aha, you were in the seminary. You must think that all, all, all uh, aliens are actually demons. Well, no, actually, I think a lot of the aliens we do, a lot of the demons we think are actually alien, one form or another. So, you know, this is what we run into. No, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, like I said, when I was reading that book, and I and that, that was my aha moment, you know, with, with what I was doing as an investigator, because when you hear these accounts from people that have been abducted and what they're going through afterwards, it sounds just like these cases that we've been investigating for years. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it all depends on how you approach them. I mean, <clears throat> maybe we could be wrong. Maybe the old ideas are right. You could do things wrong for 50 years. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I don't think so because uh, of the, the success we've had. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the whole, well, that Bridgeport case descended into chaos at the end. Anybody, uh, I recommend Bill Hall's uh, world's most haunted house book as a good uh, guide to that case. But um, if you, even if we're wrong, what we suggest doing, Ben and I call it the Peter Pan theory, think happy thoughts. Mm -hmm. In other words, the more positive energy you have in your life, the less trouble you're going to have with negative energy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's good advice for any family or any person. So, um, yeah, I think um, I like to think we're on the right track. I would think that, like you say, writing down your dreams would be interesting now when, when you look at it from this perspective because sometimes sometimes your dreams are in the here and now. Sometimes your dreams are, are, are things you've never done before with, with, with that person. Yeah, that's true. You find various, when you write them down in detail, you find various parallels. Mm -hmm. You can, at least for me, I, I can re return to the scene just by reading the narrative, even if it's 20 years ago. You know, it's like it's real. And I think it's real because it, it's still going on. It, it's kind of, as we said about deja vu, that that's 
part of your super life. It's another term we had to invent, super life. So now you wrote a book about all this, right? Oh yeah, there are several. Um, the the two of the most recent would be uh, a little shameless uh, self-promotion here. Uh, yeah, from uh, cheerful books, uh, behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong, and then uh, most recently, oh look at that, you got it. <laughs> most recently, um, there, 2019, there is uh, dancing past the graveyard, uh, poltergeist, parasites, parallel worlds, and God. Uh, that's just written by me, and uh, that's um, from Schiffer as well. I actually made it into hardcover. That was uh, I impressed myself that way. Uh, but um, th- th- those are things I hated writing that book. Th- those are things, cases that I never mentioned before that really, really illustrate the, the multiverse idea. Uh, people I've dealt with who were stuck in parallel worlds, who had died here, and things like that. But th- if people are interested in that, that's that's the one that they might want to read. Fantastic. What's next for you? Uh, well, Ben and I are working, you know, I'm all I'm involved in MUFON now and doing all this stuff. And we lecture at uh, uh, a lot of UFO conferences. You know, the parallel, A lot of the paranormal people don't like us because we're bad for business. We question all their ideas. And so uh, we're writing a book uh, called Behind the Paranormal 3, uh, Uneasy Skies. Uh, with our own UFO experiences and those of our guests over the last, uh, uh, we've started our 15th year on the air. I guess we've been on the air almost as long as you have. And uh, we'll be, uh, that'll be out next year. And what about your, uh, your podcast, your show? Let's hear about that a little bit. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, we, we're on an actual AM FM station uh, in Rhode Island, Boston, Providence Market. But it uh, goes out everywhere in the internet. There's a video stream, and it's all on YouTube, YouTube and iTunes and all this. It's called Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And uh, BehindTheParanormal.com uh, is a good place to find out about where to hear it. And We have over like 1,100 free recorded shows if you have the time. So, <clears throat> Well, thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much tonight. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. I, I even feel a little better from the allergies having yacked all this time. I was like that this weekend. I was out working in the backyard and a lot of dust. And I could hardly oh, yeah. Tell. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think you have the pollen we have in the east here. Yeah, it was really bad. All right, First. sir. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to talk to you on a future date maybe about stuff. Because this is a, I, I, sure, mean, I could sure. be here for hours talking about this. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Well, I'm here. All right, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Okay, guys. I forgot to ask about his websites, but I have those up, of course, at the end. That was interesting. It's a different view on the paranormal, you know, and, and how to look at it. I'm always open-minded to stuff like that, you know, and I, and I agree there's concern about, you know, what happens with our loved ones when they pass, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, you got to have an open mind. I mean, it's like anything else. You know, like even now, you know, eggs are bad for you. Next thing you know, eggs are good for you. And then eggs are bad for you again and blah, 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 blah. Everything is ever changing with this. So anyway, I have links to his, his books and his websites, of course, uh, so you guys can check him out if you if, if you so desire. And I will get his video. In fact, let me look at that video right now in his chat, in the private chat. And somehow I'm going to make a copy of this video. Hang on. Let me make a copy of this real quick. Because once I kill it, I kill the chat, I kill the chat. 
So I'm going to pop over on that right now. That's what I'm doing is I'm pushing buttons. Just bear with me, and I'm going to go over there. Hopefully I don't lose you guys. Okay. Really? <laughs> okay. Well, let me try that one more time. It's telling me the domain's for sale. Whatever is that? You never know with things. Okay, I don't want to get kicked off StreamYard either here, okay? So let me go back in one more time. Let's try this one more time. Oh, I'm going to Google it and find it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Let's see. Ah, there it is. Okay, we don't want the audio on. Okay, the audio's off. All right, so I'll pull that up and put it up on the website later. Um, anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And uh, interesting show. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I agree. It was fascinating, Jerry. Thank you to everybody that came tonight. Tomorrow is going to be a little change of pace. We're going to be interviewing a man named John Potash. John Potash has written a couple books about governments having a hand in the death of celebrities. So we're going to take a look into that. And we're talking about people like Tupac and uh, celebrities like that. So come on in tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, usual time. And we'll be here talking to John Potash about that stuff. So it's going to be an interesting night. But I want to thank you all for coming. And do if you do have TikTok, be sure to visit our TikTok over there. It's California Haunts. And subscribe to YouTube, please, if you're watching from YouTube. Uh, we're looking for subscribers. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Equal opportunity here. And uh, check out our website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Because our website also has the easiest way to get to the YouTube site. Because if you try to find us on YouTube, you're going to go every which way. And even though we have a dedicated YouTube address. So that's the best way. Just click on any video over there and you'll get to YouTube. We also have, uh, we've been on the radio, we've been doing this a long time. So we also have a lot of archives from Blog Talk Radio. Which I'm in the process of converting over to the new website. So uh, be, look, be on the lookout for CaliforniaHouseRadio.com for that as well. Again, I want to thank everybody for coming. And you see that ticker at the bottom. And the reason for that is because we are technically a nonprofit. And everything you see comes out of my pocket, whether it's mics, cameras, computers, and even stuff for the paranormal team. You know, all the equipment that we purchase comes out of my pocket, unless it's donated. And so I could use a little help paying bills, you know, get the internet bill done. You can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo, you can do Venmo and just type in California Haunts. But I'd appreciate it. It helps us keep the show on the air and keep the guests coming and all that good stuff. Anyway, I want to thank you all, and I'm going to sign off now. And uh, have a good evening. All right, here we go. And here's the information on him. Websites are BehindTheParanormal.com, NewEnglandGhosts.com, and TurningHome.com. The book is Behind the, Par Behind the Paranormal, is one of the books. And you've got Faces at the Window and the Bell Witch Project. Dancing Past the Graveyard, Footsteps in the Attic. And, of course, they're available at Amazon and probably from his website, more than likely, as well.
Again, thank you so much for joining me tonight, and I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening.